Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Just so, Kieran, our listeners can uh, fill you in on their spreadsheet. Where are you at the moment? It's difficult to tell. You were spotted uh, in true Where's Wally style photographs of you at the Heaven 17 gig the other night, (laughs) which is... I like the fact that people are tracking you up and down the country, but where are you at the moment? How was the gig? Uh, It was... It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, Penthouse and Pavement's my favourite Heaven 17 album. But, uh, uh, yeah, this was this was uh, pretty good. Uh, and uh, I've, I've got to say, a huge hat doffed to uh, Glenn Gregory. Now, we are men of a certain age, and uh, it's a brave man of our age that will wear white jeans. I'll say no more than that. Well... He's a, he's a very, very brave man. Congratulations! Yeah, I, I do uh, <clears throat> I do love Heaven Seventeen, but unfortunately, Martin Ware is on that long list of people I inadvertently annoyed. We had a <clears throat> we had, he was all dressed in leather. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. <clears throat> but we had a we had a massive row about uh, politics after apart after he, he referred to have I got news for you as centrist twaddle. And uh, oh. uh, I believe he used the phrase "sop to the masses," which <laughs> I, which, as I pointed out, I hadn't heard since uh, last read a pamphlet in 1981. <laughs> uh, there you are. <clears throat> um, so you're at home at the moment, are you? Are you in London, Manchester, Jersey? <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I am home. Uh, I'm going. I was very lucky yesterday. I was, I was asked to give a graduation speech. Indeed, um, at uh, at university where I'm an external examiner. So there's about about eight hundred people there, I think, in terms of you know, students wow. and guests yeah. and so on. Um, and and it was always, always feels a bit weird because I didn't attend my own graduation <laughs> because and, and Martin Ware would have been probably approving of. So I decided to go to Greenham Common that day because well, well I was I was you know down down with the people uh, in, in my in my youth uh, when I wasn't working at a sex shop or training to become a chartered accountant. Yes, yeah, both of those things are not things you could have told the other people at Greenham Common, are they? Possibly the not. Yes. Both of them would have been greatly better. Yeah, when when Ed graduated from school, they had a um, uh, a very high ranking Metropolitan Police officer who'd been to his school, gave the graduation speech, and got into enormous trouble with a lot of the parents because he said something I thought was incredibly sensible, which was he said to them, "You're going into the world. Some of you will go to university. Some of you will travel. Some of you will have jobs." You're, he said, with any, with any luck, you'll be getting into scrapes. You'll be doing all sorts of things. And he said, all I'm saying to you is don't uh, film them and don't put them on social media because they could affect your chances of a job in the future. Which I thought that's was very sensible. sensible. Yeah, that's what I thought. But then all these, all these other parents are going, don't encourage our children to go and get into scrapes and, and do things and have sex. And like, well, they're, they're, do all the things that we did when <coughs> we were teenagers. Yeah, or yeah, possibly the more antsy ones didn't. Which is why they don't want their children to do it. It's Newsday, Kieran. Um, we are recording this, and this is a sign of how much I love you. We are recording this at approximately 8.30 on Wednesday morning. It's bad enough having to get up at 4.30 to get a plane out of Jersey, Kieran. But now we're recording this at 8.30 to fit in with your busy social schedule. But this is actual breaking news this morning um, about Chelsea, and it's quite significant news potentially, Kieran, I think. 
Yes, this is a story uh, which has been broken by The Guardian. It's uh, Guardian has been working with some investigative journalists uh, in other places. They, they've managed to get hold of a large number of documents. Um, so this is being published uh, elsewhere. Uh, and it's all to do with Chelsea under the uh, Roman Abramovich regime. Now, you know, we have to say that I've seen copies of the, the documents. Uh, Rob Davis, who's the Guardian journalist, he he came he got in contact with me a few weeks ago. We've been through some of them. I've given my professional opinion, but I've always said, look, ultimately, I'm a teacher. I'm certainly not a lawyer, as we both know. Pub lawyer is uh, pub lawyer status. I don't think counts for a lot these days. But I look <laughs> them them from the from the perspective of financial implications. Um, and what it appears to involve is payments to offshore companies, which is perfectly legal, if not particularly transparent, given the nature of, of these countries, you know, the likes of BVI, Cayman Islands, Bermuda, and so on. Um, but it was trying to work out exactly what those payments related to, which I think was, was the cause for concern. As we know, financial fair play has been in existence for many years. Um, clubs such as Chelsea always saw financial fair play as an anchor rather than a virtue because Roman Abramovich ideally would like to be able to spend unlimited amounts of money. So one of the ways of circumventing financial fair play is to make payments to the people you want to receive the money, but not directly from Chelsea's books. Now, I'm not in a position to say whether who received this money, but certainly the, the implication and the suggestion um, and clearly the journalists have been working on this story for months. You know, there's been a hell of a lot of uh, real old school uh, you know, forensic analysis of, of data and so on. Um, so it, if these stories are true, then potentially we, we could be looking at payments which perhaps should have gone through Chelsea's books. And if they had gone through Chelsea's books, then that could have meant that the club was in breach of financial fair play limits. So sellers of asterisks will be having a field day. Um, these documents were not the ones that were highlighted by Todd Bowley and his uh, his colleagues when they were doing their due diligence um, into the acquisition of Chelsea. The, these, are, these are a separate set of uh, papers and what are the consequences? Well, if they are passed on to the Premier League, and you know, we don't know whether that has taken place yet or not, if they are passed on to the Premier League, could it result in charges against Chelsea? It could. And if those charges are upheld, what could the potential consequences be? Well, again, the, under the Premier League's own constitution, there's an unlimited tariff. So... It goes from wagging of fingers, don't do it again, to financial consequences, to points deductions, to being you know, effectively the same as we've seen in respect to Manchester City, to you know, to being kicked out of the league and so on. Um, so it it's an awful lot of paperwork to go through. And I think the best thing to do is for it to be passed 
in due course to the appropriate authorities. I don't think it will result in any sanctions from UEFA because a lot of these documents are going back to you know, when, when the likes of Antonio Conte was signed to do with uh, Eden Hazard and so on. So I think it will be outside of the statute of limitations as far as UEFA's own rule book is concerned. Although I, I still find it a bit staggering that UEFA does have this statute of limitations, which is relatively short. Um, and then we go from there. But if we take a look at the 2021 UEFA Champions League final, it took place between Chelsea and Manchester City. Those two clubs are the biggest loss-making clubs in the history of the Premier League. One of them is up, is on 115 charges, which Manchester City, according to my sources in Manchester, are extremely confident of successfully defending. And we could be moving the same way in relation to Chelsea as well. It doesn't look great from the position of, of governance, but I think it also shows just how difficult a job both UEFA and the Premier League have if there is a culture at clubs of trying to see rules as something which has to be swerved rather than adhered to. You imagined, Kit. I mean, Roman Abramovich is still a spectacularly wealthy man, UK sanctions or no UK sanctions. So you imagine the Guardian and its legal team would be extremely careful in checking their facts before releasing any of them. But in regards to this idea of a statute of limitations, you talk about the charges against Man City. The difference is that Man City is still owned by the people against who those charges were made. And and the current Chelsea regime will surely argue if they, you know, if the if these payments stopped seven years ago, for example, the current Chelsea regime will say, well, how can you possibly begin to think about sanctioning a club when these were actions done purely by an individual that the rest of the club didn't know about? Would would that be the case? I think that would be uh, an argument that would be put forward. And remember, you know, this is all conjecture at present. It could be that the Premier League reject the documents. But if charges are made, I think it would form part of the defence um, but ultimately, the charges would be against Chelsea Football Club rather than the owners of Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, OK. Um, and that would form part of the, the prosecution's case in, in relation to the way that they would be dealing with uh, any events should they should they transpire in due course. Mm. Uh, I think you're probably right to say, Kieran, that the, the, the post of pub lawyer is becoming increasingly outdated. But pub KC, on the other hand... That's what you need to aspire yeah. to. Yeah, there's pub lawyers, loads. Pub lawyers are ten a penny, Kieran. What we need to be is a, a pub KC. We'll be we'll be looking at Manchester City's accounts in a moment, Kieran. But at the risk of annoying the light blue side of the city, we're going via the red side, um, and it looks like Sir Jim Ratcliffe's deal is probably about to be rubber stamped. And rather bizarrely, it looks like he's he's about to nick two of Palace's backstage staff as well, which is for me to comment on rather than you, Kieran. But it, so it looks like the deal, this strange deal, is about to be done. Y- yes. <laughs> Trying to get sense out of Manchester United I think has been <laughs> a challenge um, over the course of the last 12 months. Uh, yeah. You sound like a disappointed teacher, Kieran. You really do. Don't you? <laughs> um, but the, the proposals by... Uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. And we don't know whether the bid is actually going to come via Ineos or via Jim's private wealth 
um, yeah, that's a separate issue. If it has been approved at board level, and I think what Manchester United will have done is that they will have taken counsel with regards to the legitimacy of the offer. Um, we've we've seen in the past two or three days one of Manchester United's biggest private shareholders has dumped a load of their stock. So it, that could either be that they feel that the price is as good as it's going to get as far as the New York market was concerned, although the price went up, I think, quite considerably on, on Tuesday. Um, so it could be that they feel that the, the upside of selling out to Qatar has clearly gone, so they're just trying to make as much money as they can at present. Um, all of the focus has been on Jim Ratcliffe buying 25% of the shares. But uh, here uh, I refer back to our one of our secret lawyers. And uh, they say that that has completely sort of blindsided most of the analysis. It's the legal document that will go along with the 25% is the one that should really be providing the most interest and the most fo most focus because that potentially could give Jim Ratcliffe control over the, the football operational side of Manchester United with a view to perhaps changing the culture of the club. And, and I think that's the area which possibly needs addressing more than anything else because Manchester United is underperforming based on the financial metrics that you would usually analyse any any business in a, in a particular industry through. Well, talking of changing the culture, uh, to most people out there, Freeman and Moody may sound like a, a shop in Harry Potter. But they, they, they basically are the entire Crystal Palace director of technical and transfer things. And the rumours are that Jim Ratcliffe wants to take them both to Manchester United, which I can't imagine Man United fans would be happy about. But on a purely financial level, Kieran, you've said something there that has piqued my interest. You don't know whether Jim Ratcliffe is buying this share of the club through Ineos or through his own private wealth. Does that make any difference, How which money he uses to acquire the club? Not, not really. I, I suspect they'll be looking for uh, you know, who's got available cash, uh, will will it involve any further borrowing? I th think it would be poor optics if th that borrowing was piled onto the existing debt of Manchester United. So I, I would be surprised if they go through another LBO-style route. Um, but I think this will be a private sale of shares. The only, you know, a lot of Manchester United fans have said to me and, and to other people, where does this leave us as far as the January transfer market is concerned? And what we have seen from the Glazers historically is an unwillingness to put money into the club themselves. And under FFP rules, you can put £90 million of cash from owners in the form of shares into a club, and that goes into your FFP calc. So I think that's what Manchester United fans would be hoping for. Um, but even so, so you know, the, the feedback is, is at best indifferent that we're seeing on social media with regards to this because such is the toxic relationship between the fan base and the Glazer family that many Manchester United fans feel that this is a stitch up and then the grumpier element amongst them which does appear to be quite
quite significant. It says, oh, great, you know, 90 million pounds. That's another Pogba. That's another Anthony. That's another Sancho. Um, effectively saying it's not, it's on a quantitative basis, they acknowledge that the Glazers have approved a budget. The issue, which we're going back to, to the recruitment of Friedman and Co., is, is on a qualitative basis that they, they've not signed many good players. Although, you know, we, we, again, such is sort of the, the, the wave of negativity. Um, if you or I supported a club that was in the Champions League, had won four games out of the last five, I think we'd both be pretty chuffed, wouldn't we? Well, you would, unless you'd sat through those games and seen the reality of how difficult it was for them to beat uh, teams that are way below them in the in the pecking order. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah and, and also, if you're Man United, and I'm going to say this before you say it, Kieran, no disrespect to our two teams, uh, if you're a Man United fan, you wouldn't expect to lose at home to Crystal Palace and Brighton and Hove Albion, especially when Brighton yeah. played them off the park. I mean, we did the old rope-a-dope, but we still walked away with three points. I, you know, I, I don't think Man United fans get any more angry than other fans when they see their club struggling here. It's just that there's more of them than most yeah, other fans. Yeah. And and what worries me, in, in the same way that for some Man United fans, Alex Ferguson's reputation was tarnished by his um, support for the Glazers initially, there will be many Man United fans who don't like Jim Ratcliffe already purely because he hasn't bought the entire club, which is what they were hoping or expecting. Essentially, he's become the fifth glazer, for for want of a a better word, from the city just down the road, isn't he? Yes. And again, you know, looking at social media, appearing on the odd Manchester United podcast and so on, speaking to people off record, they say, if he's a, a lifelong Manchester United fan, why did he have a season ticket at Stamford Bridge? And why was he trying to buy Chelsea 18 months ago? You know, that that seems to be an inconsistency with, I think he's perhaps coming from his, you know, his public relations team who have been sort of very much promoting that he's, he's a lad from Manchester. He, he used to support them uh, when he was a kid. And he still, yeah, they are still his team. It just, and, you know, the Chelsea issue, it was just, it was a convenience more than anything else. Well, I mean, let's face it, a lot a lot of businessmen will have season tickets at Chelsea that have no interest in them. They just use it to show off to their friends. And they quite like to have had a season ticket at Arsenal and Spurs as well. Um, Manchester City's latest accounts are out, Kieran. So I imagine you've had every grade of tooth comb uh, in your hand in the last day or so. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd just like to thank Manchester City for releasing its accounts at five o'clock on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> that, that, does, that does not cause domestic harmony in the Maguire bedroom, as you can as you can only imagine. I, I, I try. I, wakes up. I try not to imagine the Maguire bedroom at any <laughs> stage of the day. Here, to be perfectly honest, I'm going Very to keep. Wise. I'm going to keep it that way. If you don't, well, no, I, occasionally, if I venture there, I, I see a, a basket with a contented Finley laying in it and an open fire, and and a lady contentedly brushing her hair. But I'm going to keep it there, Kieran. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm certainly not going there at five o'clock in the morning when your bat phone pings. That's right. Well, <laughs> indeed, it did ping. Um, so, so I had a Twitter thread out completed by ten minutes past five. So I, I thought I did pretty well. Um, <laughs> summarised every number, 
Um, the results are records, not just for Manchester City, but we're talking about records for the Premier League. It's it's the highest revenue. So the, the income of Manchester City is up a hundred million pounds. It's partly on the back of winning the treble. Um, that's uh, due to higher prize money from UEFA. Also, the end of the rebates given to broadcasters from what I can make out for COVID-related issues. They got more money from the Premier League itself because the, the overseas TV deals have uh, sort of come in in 22-23. So that was successful. A lot more money from ticket income, which sort of intrigued me a bit because I, I didn't see any more matches being played. Um, but I think what Manchester City have done, they increased the price of season tickets modestly, I think, in 22-20. It's probably around about 3 to 4%. Um, but I think match day tickets have gone up. They've opened something called the Tunnel Club, which is where it's, it's a bit like a one-way mirror so that you can actually see the players in the tunnel warming up and so on. And people are willing to pay, uh, you know, especially sort of the the hospitality uh, viewer is, is willing to pay a lot of money for that. It, you know, so it brings things a little bit closer. So they are trying to move uh, up there. They're expanding the, the capacity of the Etihad to, I think, to 61,000. So that's more money coming through. Um, commercial income up 30 million. They've got some new partners. Uh, the people that don't like Manchester City are making snarky comments. Um, but... City are fully aware that they're under scrutiny. Are some of those deals uh, related to Abu Dhabi? Yes, they are. Um, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, and does that mean that they're of a non-commercial value? Well, it's, it's difficult to get that through. You know, the, the City aren't fools. They're fully aware that they're under an awful lot of scrutiny from both the Premier League and UEFA. Um, what was also spectacular was the, the wage bill. Um, average wages, uh, based on my little calculator, uh, are up to £195,000 a week. That's average, um, which is a £30,000 a week increase. Now, a lot of that, again, will be linked to bonuses for doing the treble. So if, if they don't win the Champions League this year, you know, perhaps that figure could go down. Player sales, they sold Jesus, they sold Sterling, they, they sold Zinchenko. Um, they sold a load of youth players. So they made around about £150 million from player sales. And again, this is something which I don't think many people focus on because people tend to focus on the money going out of the club in terms of what they're buying. But City have got a very, very efficient player trading model. They've got no debt because all of the money comes from the owners, as we were sort of discussing on, on Monday's show. So, yeah, a pretty impressive set of figures. Overall, an £80 million profit. Um, that is very much dependent upon the player trading model continuing. But I think they've got so many players there now that they, they can sell a few each year and, and make considerable profits. And just to clarify, Kieran, these are accounts for simply Manchester City, not for the City group, the other clubs involved. That's right. This is this is Manchester City's uh, you know, PLC or Manchester City uh, own accounts uh, and doesn't include New York, Mumbai, Melbourne and so on. Right. And also to clarify, Kieran, were you just having some logs delivered or has Finley taken up clog dancing? There's a bit of a rumbling sound in the background there. 
Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, the, the Baroness might have fallen down the stairs, but yeah, we'll wait till we finish the podcast until finding that's, out the exact details. That's the spirit. It'll be some that's kind dedication, of, dedication, professionalism. It, it, I say it'll, it'll be some kind. I'll put I put everything down to countryside noise. That's what I, that'll be countryside noise. <laughs> Are you tired of dealing with that relentless stubble situation? Do you dream of having that fresh, clean-shaven look, but cringe at the thought of battling the daily grind of a wet shave? You're not alone. And that's why we've teamed up with Manscaped to bring you the ultimate solution. Brace yourselves, because Manscaped is making a statement in the beard game with the all-new Handyman Electric Face Shaver, Join the 9 million gents worldwide who've entrusted their grooming to Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL, all in big letters, PRICEOFOOTBALL, for 20% off plus free shipping. With the handyman's skin-safe technology, those pesky nicks and cuts are history, giving you the confidence to aim for a super close shave. Whether it's a wet or dry affair, Handyman is your trusty sidekick, ready for action wherever you go. And its compact design and airplane friendliness make it your ultimate on-the-go grooming tool. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Hit the refresh button with the Handyman. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, the Premier League, Kieran, are, are going to vote. Um, and it's a vote that will directly affect many, many football fans and their conspiracy theories about the relationship between uh, Newcastle and Saudi Arabia uh, and other clubs. Yes. Um, I find this 
timing uh, intriguing. So there is a monthly meeting by Premier League chief executives. And if a proposal is made, it uh, it goes to a vote. You have to have two, a two thirds majority. So you'd have to have 14 clubs vote in favour of this. And the the suggested proposal is that you cannot have transfers in January. And I think this will be a, from what we've seen posted in the media, this would be a a, a stopgap rule before it's investigated in, in greater depth. You cannot have uh, any transfers between clubs which have shared owners. So I think the concern is that Newcastle could recruit Neves or Cristiano Ronaldo or whoever in the January window, although it would also have to go through what we refer to as the fair value test. Any deal, including player deals uh, of more than a million pounds under scrutiny, given that Cristiano Ronaldo is on £170 million a year in wages um, in Saudi, I, I don't see how that one would work. The Neves one has, uh, you know, greater possibilities, especially, you know, given that Newcastle are now short of a midfield player for the rest of the season. Um I think Newcastle fans feel that they are being targeted here. And in in a world of whataboutery, which is clearly a very important facet of modern day life, um, they will point, and, and you know, rightly so, that uh, you know, Watford had 20 transactions with Udinese over the course of, of their period of, of in, in the Premier League and the Championship. And there was no suggesting suggestion at the time. Suggestion was that the word? There's no suggestion of um, bringing in rules under those circumstances. So why now, and why us? Is is this part of a of a broader narrative that the the bigger clubs who, who couldn't care less about Watford, you know, because they were not seen as a threat, the bigger clubs in particular are only getting involved with this because they see th- uh, Newcastle as a threat to one of their Champions League places and therefore we're starting to see things move uh, a lot quicker. Mm. I, I mean in general Kieran I don't I don't believe any conspiracy theories to be perfectly honest and I'm happy uh, to explain why on another pod but uh, you can understand why Newcastle fans would, would think how this, this seems entirely drawn up just to stop them I mean, I mean, where these rumours come from, I don't know. But it's, somebody in a pub thinks about all the potential things that could happen to every club, and somebody went, "Well, Ronaldo could go to uh, go to Newcastle, couldn't he?" And the football world has picked that ball up and ran with it, um, which is how rugby started. So I shouldn't use that analogy. Um, but do, do you think there's any justification for Newcastle fans' suspicion here? Um. Yeah, I guess if I was a Newcastle fan who was happy with all aspects of the the change in ownership, I, I, I would feel targeted. Um, and you know, Brighton have signed players from uh, USG uh, or loan players to USG, and, and we've done that quite often. And they they will point out to to Manchester City and and the unusual acquisition of Frank Lampard many years ago, where we were supposed to be going to New York. So there, there is precedent for this to take place. So why are the rules being changed? And, and why is a, a stopgap measure being introduced? Um, 
it can only be because of the reservations that other clubs have with regards to Newcastle. And therefore, you know, Newcastle fans will say, well, we are being treated to a, a different uh, you know, financial, moral, ethical governance lens than any other clubs have historically. I, I believe the unusual acquisition of Frank Lampard was a chapter title in a Harry Potter book, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, probably. Nottingham Forest have spent a lot of money, Kieran, and are about to spend a lot more money, but this time not on players. Yes. Um, selling out every match, the atmosphere at Forest uh, is is superb. I, yeah. I, went, I went to a... Admittedly, it was it was a Tuesday or Wednesday night match, which I think is all, you always tend to get a better atmosphere in, in evening matches. Um, but uh, yeah, the Forest crowd w- was superb, and what they're going to do, you know, we we both know um, that the ground is is old school, and Everett's got four separate stands, which means you've got gaps. And what they're planning to do is, is sort of. A, it's a relatively cheap option. And I think, again, it's a stopgap option because Forrest do have plans to, to knock down one of the stands and replace it with something a lot bigger, is to to create uh, sort of stands built on sort of containers in a similar way to, to what we saw at one of the stadiums in Qatar. Um, so it's effectively a, a modular Lego-style uh, setup I remember Brighton had this in 1979 when they were promoted to the old first division, and it it was it was a horrible place to sit. But I suspect this will I suspect things are more sophisticated than 1979, um, with, with a view to, to Forest being able to, to sell more tickets, therefore generate more revenue, and therefore going to help them in terms of their financial fair play uh, compliance. The Goldstone Ground in 1979 was a horrible place to go, Kieran. Never mind. It's all right for you sitting there hobnobbing it. We were freezing cold. Getting never mind. Let's not. That's another pod. To now, Kieran, um, our old friend, our dear old friend Florentino Perez, um, has been quite silent for a while. His, his, his mission to bring joy to football fans across Europe has has been mooted, but fanfares. He's back. <laughs> yes, and. We've said from the the first uh, metamorphosis of the Super League is that it's sleeping rather than dead. It's it's a bit like Freddy Krueger or Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees. Uh, I'm a huge horror film fan. That you can't get rid of the monsters in life. Um, so he's come out with another speech, um, and this is partly due to the fact that. He and his chums at A22, the the organisation which was created to market the Super League, are still banging the drum. Um, There is a case going to uh, the European courts. And I think the the verdict is due on around about the 21st of December. Uh, And he's saying, what happened to Kodak? What happened to Blackberry? Whatever happened to the spinning Jenny? VHS. Well, that's the way the football is going. Um, And therefore, the Super League is the way forward. He said, yeah, under our proposals, 400 million pounds would go to smaller clubs. And I'm going, well, okay, we've just just looked at Manchester City's accounts. And Manchester City, one club, has made 700 million pounds in a year. 
he's proposing to, to share £400 million amongst 55 different leagues in yeah. Europe with 20 clubs. So once once you start to take the the big numbers apart, which, of course, he's reluctant to do, you go, well, you're just, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit Marie Antoinette, this, um, in terms of, of distribution. Um, he's still he's saying that the Super League is more necessary than ever. UEFA isn't fit to run the competition. And uh, by transferring control and concentrating money in the hands of billionaires, sovereign wealth funds, hedge funds, and other private equity vehicles, um, they know more about football than we do, and football is safe with them. Um, so if he gets his way, what will we have? Well, we, we won't have two halves of 40, 45 minutes. You'll have four quarters. Um, you will, he says, we want a, a merit-based system of four divisions. But how do you get to that top division? Yeah, and, and I've always argued the the Leicester position was, A, it was it's probably never going to happen again, but it was great. And it did allow Leicester to compete against the giants of Europe. And surely that's what's part of the romance of football. He's not interested in that. He, he's interested in uh, he's interested in Real Madrid playing Manchester United every year in, in his league and the financial advantage that that would give to relatively few clubs, which is already huge, would be amplified by you know, a, a huge factor and would reduce competitive balance both domestically and within Europe itself. But that doesn't bother you if you're at the top. Yeah, you see, the European Super League probably is more necessary than ever for the likes of Florentino Perez, who are locked out of the super wealth of the Premier League. That's the problem. They're, they're, he's got his nose pressed up against the window of that, looking for that sweet, sweet broadcasting mm. money. And I have to say, Kieran, that very high on the list of words I wasn't expecting to hear today is spinning Jenny, which uh, Florentino Perez needs to know that the introduction of an automated uh, weaving loom led to riots all over the all over the continent so if he is listening you take heed florentino um the the luddites were one of my favorite bands from hull in the 80s well that narrowed that down the, 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 <laughs> didn't it yeah yeah well my least favorite i can't stand the house martins even the, even i took exception to the the title of that album uh, was it London Neil Hole Four? <laughs> I really, genuinely took exception to that, that high-pitched reading. Uh, but um, far, far away from the European Super League, Kieran, in a corner of Essex that will always be South End. It, there's a there's a glimmer, there's a glimmer of of even better news um, for long-suffering South End fans. Yes. Um... The deal in terms of the sale by Ron Martin to a, a new consortium um, was greeted with a huge sigh of relief by Southend United fans. And I, th I think yeah, football fans in general, we, we don't oh, want yeah. to see any, any bricks in the wall nope. be taken away. Um, there was also, I think, uh, Ron Martin wanted a bit of horse trading. Um, I, I think he's got some of the things that he was looking for because there's been a vote in the local council, I think, approving some some uh, uh, housing developments. Um, and I, I've now added 
to our team, the secret shrimper. Um, so somebody on the, the buy side should, of should we uh, not be um, has, has been in contact. Should we not be doing these recruitment decisions together, Kieran? Do you, do you not think the three of us should have some, <laughs> some kind of interview panel before you arbitrarily appoint your latest secret? But anyway, the secret shrimper, yes. Um, and they seem very positive that the deal will go ahead and we will be looking at new ownership of the club sooner rather than later. And, and, and that's, I think that's good. You know, the, the Martin years have not been good for Southend. They wouldn't be in the National League otherwise. Um, it also, I think, will uh, invigorate the fans who have been absolutely fantastic and, you know, the local reporter He's been he's done a superb job um, going forward. So yes, I, I think it's it's a step in the right direction for Southend, and, and I'm sure uh, everybody concerned about the club and and that the club, yeah, well, those people that haven't been paid on time at times, um, they will be both relieved and uh, excited about the future. Well, hopefully, as will fans of this next club, Kieran, because um, on our list of um, troubled. Uh, teams, shall we say. Carlisle United's been bubbling under for a couple of years. There's never been any really bad news, but there's been indications of of off-field problems, but it looks like they are about to be resolved. Yes, the the, the big issue at uh, Carlisle was it borrowed um, a significant amount of money from a company called Edinburgh Woollen Mill, which went into administration. And the administrators sold the loan due from Carlisle United to another company, which is owned by a billionaire. And he's he's just had this very strange approach of non-communication. Um, so, you know, how can the club go forwards? How can the club itself attract more investment if you've got this sort of this overhanging praying mantis of, we don't know whether they're going to demand the money back in terms of the loan at any one point in time. So you wouldn't be able to attract investment under those circumstances. Um, According to um, some senior sources, um, there is progress taking place with regards to those lines of communication. And it looks as if some sort of deal is on the cards. Clearly, things have to be signed off and approved by, by both sides. Um, and then that debt will be yeah, effectively bottomed out, bottomed off. Um, and that means that Carlisle can go forwards um, yeah, with, a, with, with a budget, with a plan and certainty. Because the one thing that we don't like in, in football off the pitch, you know, uncertainty on the pitch is great. That's why we go there, because we don't know what the result's going to be. Um, but uncertainty off the pitch is never good in terms of uh, funding and governance. Um, it looks like this is is going to be a positive one. We're coming up, Kieran, to my favourite day, my very favourite day in the football calendar. And not just because it's close to Christmas, but it's third round FA Cup draw day, Kieran, is my absolute favourite day. You, you'll know that the only other podcast I I deign to appear on is Five Year Plan, the Palace podcast. 
um, celebrated its 500th edition this week. We Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. You very, thank you very much. We interviewed Roy Hodgson yesterday. Palace fans will be interested oh, in that. Yeah, it turns out he used to uh, live with Steve Kember. Yeah, Roy Hodgson's dad Ooh. was the yeah Roy Hodgson's dad was the bus driver, and Steve Kemba's dad was the bus conductor, and they all seem to share some kind of London transport house in a sort of <laughs> Stan and Red stage base. Basically, yeah. But um, uh, several years back here, and we were recording a five-year plan podcast while the FA Cup third round draw was on, when Palace were drawn away to Brighton. Uh, which caused some yes. mayhem and also uh, quite a big cleaning bill for my back room because various alcoholic drinks went up <laughs> in the air. Uh, smudge sm- sm- got red wine all over her whiskers. Um, so it's, it's I love I, I love the FA Cup. I love the third round of the FA Cup. I love the draw in particular. But this is a long-winded preamble uh, into some good news for those people who love the women's FA Cup. Yes, um, the. FA has decided to double the amount of money in the women's pool. Um, Last year, there were increases, and I think you've got to give the FA some credit. The the focus on the increases last year was in the early rounds uh, because we had... We had somebody from uh, was it Clapham, wasn't it? Uh, their, their women's Sof- team. We had Sophia uh, Sophia Axelson. Sophie, that's from right. Clapton Community um, FC. Yeah, Clap. Yes, yeah. Explaining that they lost money in the yeah. FA Cup by yeah. the time they paid for, for transport, and that, and that that does seem you know, very very unreal. Uh, so so the the FA have addressed that, and what they've now done is that they've also uh, yeah there's been increases all round, but there's been increased emphasis on the third round onwards. So. Uh, payments from the from the third round have gone up from twelve and a half thousand pounds to forty four thousand, and winning the um, women's FA Cup will now bring a prize of four hundred and thirty thousand pounds. Now people will say, well, it's still considerably lower than the men's FA Cup, which is two million. But I also point out that if you win the Carabao Cup, you make a hundred grand. So you know the women's FA Cup is now paying out four times as much. As the um, as yeah, as the, the Carabao Cup, so you know it is indicative of the increased popularity of the game. Um, I I spoke to our secret lioness. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got I've got my 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 WhatsApp group. It's sort of it's sort of you know it's got price of football. We've got price of football live, and then I've got secret lioness, secret KC, secret lawyer. Um, yeah, the S's are taking a bit of hammering uh, in, in, in my in my WhatsApp diary, um, and and the secret lioness is is saying yeah that they had to to fight hard, uh, but the the FA were prepared to listen. Um, it certainly incentivizes the the clubs and and the players always want yeah to have the, the winning, an FA Cup winners medal on your CV is is always going to be. Uh, you know, something that you you aspire to, but it's going to be even more beneficial financially than it has done historically. I think it's reflective of the increased interest in the game, especially in the women's FA Cup. You know, it, the FA Cup is still has that that tinge of of magic about it, and uh, the numbers are heading in the right direction. Why is it not the same as the men's FA Cup? It's simple. It, it's driven by TV money. And the rights for the men's FA Cup generate more money than the rights of the women's FA Cup. And that flows through into what the FA feel they can appropriately distribute to, to individual clubs. 
Yeah, I, I, I take that point, Kieran, because I was going to ask that question. It does seem odd. Uh, and, you know, as you say, some credit to the FA for doubling the total prize fund. But when the total prize fund wasn't that much in the first place, doubling it isn't necessarily sufficient. But when you see Wembley, and Wembley will be as sold out for the Women's FA Cup final in future as the men's. So it seems a little odd that they're getting so much less money. And I know you know the, the broadcasting rights don't cost, but it's still showed live on, on the BBC. They still make a, a, a big day of it. So it's, it's it really is about time they got the same money for winning the FA Cup, isn't it, Kieran? I, I can certainly see an argument for that. The FA would push back and say that would cause... That, that would actually cause issues, I think, in the broader women's game. If you're going to have a, a two million prize for winning the FA Cup, when you have individual clubs in the Women's Super League who t- whose total income in the over the season is only £1 million, uh, okay, fair it, would, yeah. it could cause a yeah. bit of volatility in the yeah. market. Yeah. So, you know, it's gone from £3 million to £6 million. That's great. There's no indication that that £6 million is going to be a cap. It's, it's indicative of the direction of travel. Um, and... As interest increases within the women's game, I think it will in- incentivise both clubs and players as they come through to to want to be more involved. Oddly enough, Kieran, our final story will take us to a world of much, much bigger money for women's football. But we have a couple more stories to get to before we end there. And firstly, um, I mean, I know how excited you you get when a club releases its accounts, Kieran, but when a whole league publishes its accounts, Mike. And I imagine the kilt was on, the bagpipe music was in the background, the Baroness is waking up again going, what the? <laughs> yeah. Well, at the moment, the Baroness is from Edinburgh, remember? So, oh, Of course she is, yes. Yeah, she's, she's, of course, you can tell by she's, that. Uh, she's, wonderful she's, got crystal, she's got her roots. She's got her roots. She's got that wonderful um, cut glass crystal accent that many uh, middle class Scottish people have, which I like so much. <laughs> with a northern tip before I, she tells me off for calling her posh, with a... With a Strong hints with the northwest of England, by the way, I should say. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she still says Bath. Yeah, to, which, yeah, which really confuses to, our granddaughters. Yeah, well, rightly so. It troubles me a little bit the fact that she says Bath and Grass. Ali says Tooth. It drives me out of the wall. Like, <laughs> Why don't you go and live there then, if you want to say Tooth? <laughs> um, so the SBFL has published its accounts. Revenue is up around about. It's double figures, just over ten percent. Around just over, so we're 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 talking just over forty million pounds, um, and this is both good and bad. It's it's good that it's heading in the right direction. Um, it's still the equivalent of what a Premier League club would get. Yes, if, if the Baroness isn't vacuuming, <laughs> she's recharging the vacuum. <laughs> If that's what people are thinking in it the just, background. It just sounds like someone's trying to escape from your house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but at least, you know, if she has fallen down the stairs, we know that she's recovered. So, yeah, I take, take it as a positive. Well, yeah, unless, um, unless she's trying to clamber back up the stairs using the vacuum cleaner in a kind of Paddington Bear style attempt <laughs> to get up. The uh, we're, we're back to conspiracy theory theories. We are, yeah, we are, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go back to Scotland, Kieran. We're happier in Scotland. Yes. Um, so it's it, you know, double-digit increase. That's grand. 
Um, it's still about the equivalent of what a club would receive as a first year parachute payment in the championship. And that's one club. This is the total income generated uh, by Scottish football, the vast majority of which is, is coming from TV and a bit more from sponsors. Um, the total overseas sponsorship of the SPFL was around about £2 million. To, to put that in context, it's £1,600 million in the Premier League. So it's, it's getting one eight, you know, one eight hundredth of of the figure. So it just shows the vast gulf. Um, I, I've uh, I've been on some Rangers podcasts this week because they published their results as well. And one of the issues which which Rangers fans and Celtic fans and and fans of Scottish football always raised to me. And yeah, let's for the sake of transparency, yeah, we 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 know Neil Doncaster well. We've had conversations with Neil both on and off record. Um, but. My observation is that I've also spoken to broadcasters and, uh, you know, I, I spoke I spoke to a broadcaster and said, well, why is the Scottish TV deal not out for tender? And he says, because, frankly, only Sky are particularly interested in this. And yeah, if, if they put it out to tender, all that would happen, it, it would tie up red yeah, red tape, this would be made, and it would go to Sky. Um, the biggest issue as far as Scottish football is concerned is that its biggest enemy is not the SPFL, it's the Premier League. The Premier League is so popular. If Sky are going to pay a lot of money, or if another broadcaster is going to come in and pay a lot of money um, for Scottish TV rights, you've already got Sky, who has the the 2pm and the 4.30pm slots on a Sunday. We've got a 12.30 slot and a 5.30 slot on a Saturday. So, when is Scottish football going to have a time all to itself over the weekend? At present, if you take a look at Scottish football matches, when they are taking place, there's normally, or there's quite frequently, there's an English match taking place at the same time. Some of the matches on Sunday mean that you don't necessarily get a, a Premier League match, but that tends to be the exception rather than the rule. Um, viewers have one pair of eyes. Viewers... You know, despite the fact that we joke at weekends, you know, we strap ourselves into the sofa at eight o'clock on a Saturday morning and we don't leave till nine o'clock on a Sunday night. Well, that's not the case. So, you know, people will therefore prioritise which matches they watch um, over the course of the weekend. Now, I appreciate that for Scottish fans, they'd much rather see Scottish matches, but the, the overall Scottish audience is, is limited. If the match doesn't involve one of the old firm, this is no disrespect, St. Johnson versus Ross County, who's going to turn on and watch it? So, you know, there are, I think there are problems because the Premier League is so successful that it will always dominate viewing figures, which means that the, the SPFL are fighting for scraps. And therefore, the deal, in my view, is not a bad deal. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken to people at Scottish clubs and they say, well, we, we think, you know, it should be better. But when I talk to broadcasters, they say, well, we're not willing to pay more. So I don't know where the Scottish clubs are getting this idea from. Um, and I think there's a there's a bit of politics involved, a bit of a misunderstanding. Um, the results, in my view, could they be a wee bit higher? Yeah, they can always be a wee bit higher, but 
but you're not going to get the quantum leaps that I think some fans think are feasible as far as the Scottish market is concerned. You mentioned there, Kieran, the huge gulf between the Premier League and the Scottish League um, finite income from overseas sponsorship. Did you just clarify what you mean by overseas sponsorship? Yeah, sorry, overseas TV deals. So, uh, right, the, sorry, okay, as, as right, we know, right. the prem, yeah. um, okay. so so the Premier League is is now makes more money from its overseas TV deals than Scotland. Scotland makes around about five percent of Got its you. total. Okay. The, the Premier League, it's probably around about fifty two, fifty three. Right, and a penultimate story, Kieran, has big news from Ireland. Yes, um, Roy Barrett, the chairman of the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland. He's resigned. Now, he did say he was going to resign in January stroke February because he felt that the the gender balance of the, the board of the FI needed to be addressed. He was then persuaded to stay. And then a story has has broken in, in, in the last few days. Um, an agreement was made to pay the chief executive of the FAI um, €21,000. Um, this was €12,500 for for not taking holidays, to which he was entitled, and €8,500, apparently, for uh, paying him to commute from London, where he lives, to take up his role. Um, now, the accusation that's been made is that these payments were not communicated to everybody um, at a senior level. And Whilst there's no accusation that they are inappropriate, I think given the history of the Football Association of Ireland under the regime of John Delaney, who was, who was nothing but a scourge on the game, um, the, the Irish Football Association was effectively bankrupt and it had to go cap in hand to the Irish government, who said, we will provide you with some funding but that funding comes with strings attached, such that uh, you know that the chief executive cannot earn more than a government minister. Now, if you include these payments, does that go above that level? I know the likes of yeah, Paki Bonner, who's on the board. I think he's saying, "Well, yeah, we weren't aware of this. Why have we not been included?" So, the optics are terrible. Yeah, if you've you've got to be like Caesar's wife. Under these circumstances, you've you've got you know you, you must not only be transparent, but you've got to seem to be transparent. Um, you know, nobody's suggesting that these payments were not approved. Nobody's saying that these payments were un- inappropriate. But why wasn't everybody else informed? Uh, politicians will see this as an opportunity for for them to take a moral high stand, which I'm, I'm never comfortable with in terms of football. Um, you know, the Irish media, who you know, uh, yeah. Ireland's a big village, and it's you know, it, it 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 enjoys this type of thing. So, uh, it, I think it's 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 an own goal um, at the FAI, and therefore Roy Barrett has said, right, that's it. You know, I've had enough. Um, I'm off. And by all accounts, I think he was supposed to be you know, somebody who, who who was trying to move things forwards, but he's fallen on his sword on this. It's it's an own goal, Kieran, but it's an easily avoidable own goal, isn't it? Because if, if there's one takeaway, uh, and I hate using that expression, but there's one takeaway I've I've, I've learned from working with you for four years is that transparency up front saves you an awful lot of nonsense and palaver a couple of months, a couple of years down the line, doesn't it? If, if you've got nothing to hide, hide nothing. Yeah, it's always been 
my viewpoint, and that's that's why I get into scrapes with with the likes of the Premier League. You know, so, you know why why are you not showing the 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 broadcast uh, distribution figures? You know, you've you've published them for the last six or seven years. You've chosen not to publish them this year. They'll be spectacularly dull, but of course, you know, it, it fuels the, the the feeling that they, you know, the authorities, the establishment, um, are up to something nefarious. When a lot of the time, that's not the case. Yeah. No, I, I like the idea that in the background, the Baroness is now act, actually laundering some money as we speak. Just, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what are you doing, darling? Just did a bit of money laundering. You carry on. Our, our final story, Kieran, we, we mentioned there's a, a, you know, a little bit more money coming the way of women's football in this country. But um, in America, there's a fair amount of money coming the way of women's football, isn't it? This, this is an amazing deal. Yeah. Um, the... The main U.S. broadcasters have, have come together. So we've got Amazon, CBS, ESPN, and somebody called Scripps, who I've not heard of. Um, and they've decided to uh, sign a new deal with the domestic league in, in North America. Um, and the payment has gone from £1.5 million a year to 60 So, you know, transformative. And, and I've always been a little bit concerned about the, the American game where... What's that in dollars, Kieran? Sorry. So one and a half million to sixty million dollars. Sorry. Oh, dollars. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a three thousand seven hundred and eighty percent increase, which is wow. Um, yeah, it, it's bit it's big in in all terms. Um, I've always thought that the American national team has very much been the focus, and the the domestic leagues have been perhaps not getting the attention that they potentially deserve. But clearly, the broadcasters see the women's game as a growth market. Mm. They've decided to put together a package to show more matches, to uh, show matches at, at different times, and, and to say, you know, we think that there is an audience for this and, and we're willing to back the product. And this, of course, will help the American game to attract not just domestic players, but uh, you know, players that we're seeing in the WSL and other senior leagues in Europe as well. Yeah, also it comes off the back here and of you telling us about the American investment company that wants to buy into Lewis. But who, who basically have identified women's football across the globe as a, a major investment um, uh, opportunity. Yes, yeah. There's um, there's there's only one direction of travel in my view, and it's upwards. And I think the the level of potential growth. You get the product right, you get the place right, you get the price right. Um, then th- there are uh, great opportunities. My reservation always when it comes to private equity is that they've actually got no interest in women's football, just as they've got no interest in men's football. They have got a lot of interest in making money. Now, sometimes you can have a symbiotic relationship and both parties can benefit from that. Sometimes that's not always the case. And and when private equity leaves, you you, you inherit a a bit of a mess. But I'm I'm trying to be positive on this one. Uh, And One final question, Kieran. Do you know off the top of your head how this Women's Soccer League deal compares to the MSL deal in general, broadcasting-wise? I, I don't. Uh, I, know, I know that Apple have signed a new deal, which I think is worth about $200, $250 million a season. Right. Um, but that was very much linked to the, the messy factor. Yeah, yeah. And there is talk, and I've not seen the paperwork to be able to confirm there's there's talk that that Messi is on a percentage himself because he is you know, transformative in terms of interest in the game 
Um, but certainly uh, Apple have paid a lot of money. Uh, so it's probably around about four times as much if these figures are correct. But yeah, that if you compare the the value of the WSL to the Premier League or even the WSL to the EFL, um, it's uh, it, it's much closer in the US. Uh, one final final question, Kieran. It's just it just occurred to me. I mean, this is obviously very very good news for US US women's soccer, but possibly less so for English women's football. Because uh, we've seen Emma Hayes looks like she's leaving Chelsea to go to America, and if if the best players in the world uh, are much better off financially going to the US, and that could have a knock on effect on the broadcasting deal here, couldn't it? P- potentially, um, you know, it, it's a professional game, it's a talent game, and, and talent does follow the money. Yeah, of course, there's no doubt about that, and and that and that's the same. Yeah, I can assure you that is exactly the same in the world of finance. Right. Um, it, it's the same in the world of teaching, uh, you know, and, and so on. Um, the WSL is still very much dominated by domestic players. Um, you know, we know that the average salary in the WSL is probably in the region of, of thirty to forty k. There are some players on as low as twelve thousand pounds a year, um, and and that ultimately is 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 driven by the TV deal because match day receipts historically haven't been great, but we've, we've seen Arsenal, you know, get 50,000 yeah. this, this season. Yeah, so yeah. I think there is, there is certainly scope for growth. And I think the biggest challenge for the women's game is finding the appropriate price point for tickets, because if you give the tickets away, if you give the tickets away for a couple of quid, sell tickets for a couple of quid, it's very difficult to then persuade people to pay at a later point. And also I think it disrespects the game because it's a good product. So it's a good product. Don't don't give it away for nothing. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's exactly what Palace are doing. They've got a, a scheme at the moment where any season ticket holder um, for the men's team can get tickets for the women's team for two pound, um, which is an indication of how difficult it is, unfortunately, to um, to attract big crowds to the Palace women's team. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution as well, that'd be very kind of you. It would also get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. And if you want to go to our price of football.com to ask a question, you can do that by emailing us at questions at priceoffootball.com or you can go to that same website to get one of our books, our latest book, our Price of Football t-shirt. All the details are there. Hopefully, we will be seeing some of you tonight at Dulwich Hamlet. Very much look forward to that. Uh, she's gone down the stairs again, isn't she? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we'll be back on... Uh, when will we be back? We'll be back on Monday with our uh, questions pod, dividing Kieran is still in one piece after the Baroness hears this one. Uh, in the meantime, I shall hand you over to said Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, thank you to everybody for the support for the show. We, we we genuinely appreciate it. It was it was great to see people at Jersey and, and the other venues recently. Um, and we're trying to put a bit back at, at the Dulwich show. Yeah, we, we've said yeah, we, we're fully aware that as blokes, we're we're not very good at dealing with ourselves. So. Yeah, tickets are just a fiver, but look, if you just want to get out of the house, you're in South London, you can get a ticket for nothing. Just go along to the website and you know, come along and you'll you'll, you'll be amongst friends. You, we'll, uh, we're not going to try and flog you the book. Yeah, there's no there's no catches attached at all. Um, so 
you know, we just want, we've got friends that have been in dark times and you know, anybody that needs a bit of help with, we're, we're, we're trying to do what we can. Um, there's other ways you can support the show. And one of those ways is to, is to give us a review. Um, and it, it helps, helps the credibility of the show. Um, it helps us in the charts, helps produce a guy to uh, arrange those those unusual sponsorship deals that we have on a, <laughs> on a variety of, of subjects, and both physical and mental. Um, and it doesn't matter what you say. Um, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by the country's bravest 60-year-old plus man in Glenn Gregory and the person to whom he dedicated we don't need this fascist groove thing. A person who's got a bit of spare time on her hands at present, Sue Ellen Braverman. So she, she hasn't got that much spare time. She's got poison pen letters to write. She's got a, <laughs> long, she, she's got a long list of poison pen letters. I don't, can, th- can, you, can you imagine the you've just been dumped by <laughs> Sue Ellen Braverman text that you get from her? For, for those of our listeners who, who live in the UK, and I'm sorry to exclude... Uh, those of you outside it, you can probably get it. The the funniest stand-up comedy in the country at the moment is the first couple of minutes of News at Ten. Tom, it's just it's just been it's just been hilarious. It's been anyway. Enough, you know, again, that's for another pod. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, son, for the